If you find that prayer is hard, and I am coming through this whole sermon, assuming that you do like I do, if you find that prayer is hard, I have really good news for you. Jesus knows that prayer is hard. And I don't just mean that he looks down from his throne now in heaven and sees you struggling to pray. He does see that, but that's not all I mean. The book of Hebrews says that he took on all of our weaknesses such that we have a high priest in heaven who's able to sympathize with all of our weaknesses. He experienced them himself. And he was tempted in every way just as we are. So he doesn't just know about the struggles we have to pray. He experienced fatigue while trying to pray. He experienced a hectic and crazy schedule that got in the way of his daily and regular extended prayers. He experienced, like us, a mind that sometimes thinks about what you tell it to think about and sometimes runs the other direction and doesn't think about what you tell it to think about, as probably all of us experience in our prayer. He fought that as well. And that makes him, among many things, the very best of teachers. When you're trying to learn how to do something that you don't quite know how to do, you want a teacher who knows what it's like to struggle with the same weaknesses. You do not want a violin teacher who picked up the violin at five years old and knew just what to do with it because that violin teacher can't help you through all of the hurdles that you're gonna go through as you get the fingerings just right and as you get the bow just right and all of that wrestling you will have to do. A teacher that never went through it isn't gonna do as good of a job bringing you through it. Our Lord is not that kind of teacher. Our Lord is one who came down to earth, bore a human body, and was willing to dwell in our weaknesses. That means that whatever it is that makes it tough for you to pray, whether it's distraction all the time, whether it's a crazy schedule, uh, whether it's something else that makes it difficult to have a good, solid, regular time of prayer, Jesus knows what that weakness is. And even if you don't fully understand it, the best place to go is the teachings of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our teacher, our master. Whatever you're struggling with, his teachings will be the thing that will help best. We are going to look this morning at Jesus' perennial teaching, you might say his flagship teaching on prayer, which has long been called the Lord's Prayer. From the first four verses of Luke chapter 11, we're going to read the shorter version of it because it gets more to the point and we want to get more to the meat of it this morning. He opens his mouth to teach us this morning. These are his very words recorded here. And if you would hear his teaching, right? Blessed are those who hear the word and do it, right? Not just the hearers of the word. If you would hear it, I believe that it would go a long way to overcome whatever weaknesses it is that are getting in the way of having the prayer life that you have wanted to have. So we look this morning and we ask, Lord, would you help us? Would you teach us? Let's read together Luke 11 verses 1 through 4. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. 
and lead us not into temptation. The words of the Lord. Through that short teaching, our Lord gives his people a pattern for our regular prayers. And what I pray the Lord does for you in it is I pray one month from today, you could look back and say, all right, I took Jesus' teaching here on how to pray and I really am better at prayer than I used to be. I hope you're able to track the difference in your lives. And what I pray it does for us as a church is if we can build a, from ourselves an army of people that go to the Lord in prayer every day, do so regularly, do so effectively, do so along the lines that Jesus gives us, the sorts of prayers that he might answer here among us are incredible. Some of you can tell stories of that already happening here because many of you are prayer warriors and we have seen great prayers answered. What if we can rally our whole church together to do just that every morning as we go to God in prayer? Oh, I pray that he does that for us. Practically, we're going to take this all the way down to the ground level and, and I want you to be thinking about the time that you spend each day in the word of God and in prayer. And if you don't have a time like that already, uh, I hope you will begin to develop one, even starting tomorrow. Everyone's schedule is different, and so you're going to have to think, okay, is, is this a morning thing for me? Is this a night thing for me? Do I work a swing shift and have to do it at lunch at this time and at dinner this time? Like, whatever your schedule is, you can figure out where the cracks are and where the good time is to sit down with the Bible and to pray. Be thinking of that time as we walk through this whole thing. As you do, if it is a help to you, we've printed up a daily prayer guide that is in your bulletin. It's loose, not stapled in, so you can fold it in half and put it right in your Bible. Or you can write all of this down somewhere and walk through it. Uh, this will essentially take you all the way through this prayer that Jesus taught us, which you can use every day to ask the Lord for the things that you need. The way I do this is you guys are pretty familiar, a lot of you, with this book that I carry around everywhere and I write down everything in it. Well, the very first page when you open it, I find our church prayer list and all of this stuff written down right here. This is how I keep my mind focused when I pray. Hardest thing for me is my mind goes all over the place. Anybody else like that? When you've got the next thing you're going to pray for written down, it really helps when your mind wonders, oh, where am I going to go next? You can go right back to what you have written down. So let all of this be a practical help for you. Uh, that is what our Lord wants from us, and he wants to make prayer more accessible and easier for each one of us. The backstory here is really simple. It's in verse 1. Uh, Jesus is off praying. His disciples see him pray. And one of them asks, Lord, will you teach us to pray the same way that John taught his disciples to pray? Uh, that's alluding to a common practice in that time. Uh, each of the different schools of thought in Judaism, you know, you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes and a few others, they all had their own way of praying that they taught to their disciples. And so if you heard somebody pray publicly, you could tell which one they were, and you might even be able to tell who their rabbi was, who their teacher was, by the way that they prayed. Your pattern for prayer marked you as a follower of this certain teacher. Not only that, but John the Baptist came on the scene, began calling the nation of Israel to repentance and baptizing them, and those who followed him, he taught them a very particular and special way to pray. 
Some of these types of prayers are recorded. Uh, Most of them are not. We don't have access, as far as I know, to the way John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray. But we do have some of those Jewish ones, and they share many things in common with Jesus' pattern here. The disciples said, hey, teacher, we follow you. Will you teach us a way to pray that marks us as your disciples? And that tells us what this is. This is a, a way of praying, a pattern for prayer that is exclusively for followers of Jesus, for disciples of Jesus. And so that is where we get our title, A Christian Pattern for Daily Prayer. This is a pattern for prayer that marks Christians. It gives us generally the kinds of things that Christians ought to be praying for. And in fact, I searched the New Testament this week trying to find every prayer given by a follower of Jesus in the New Testament. And I could not find one prayer that did not fit into one of these categories in these prayers. It looks like his followers really followed him and prayed for these things. So really all of our prayers we can file into one of these categories. And it seems as if he is saying when he says, when you pray, say, He's saying for for those regular prayers, like our pastoral prayer here in church and that daily prayer where you sit down and have your prayer time, here's the pattern to go through. Here's what to walk through. Here's how to structure that so that you know what to say. That means something for you, though, if you're not a Christian, right? This this is a pattern exclusively for Christians, just for people who follow Jesus. And so if you're here today and you're not a believer, uh, in one sense, you're off the hook. Here's one you don't have to do, right? You go off and say, oh, I don't have to do that one. But I hope that you'll leave wishing that you could. Uh, one of the things that Jesus does when his teachings are unfolded is we get a glimpse of how good his ways are. And sometimes you can be here as someone who is not one of his followers and leave with this sense of, man, what Jesus gives his followers is better than what the world is giving me. That is because his ways really are better. And even that's just a glimpse, right? It's not just his ways that are good. He is good. And and the forgiveness and grace that he offers is good. And so when he teaches here and we see how good that is for his people, that's just a little glimpse of how worthy this Jesus is of your trust. When he says, when you pray, say this, it's good. And how much more than when he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. That's good too and he's worthy of your trust there. And when he says, I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. He's worthy of your trust in that too. And when, he's, when it is said that there is no other name by which men may be saved, there is no other way you can find forgiveness for your sins, he's worthy of that trust too. So if you walk away thinking, this Jesus is worth listening to. I, I should listen to some of his teachings. Don't just listen to his teachings. Trust him fully for resurrection from the dead, for forgiveness of sins, for life's ways and how to do life well. Just put all of yourself on him. That's called faith. That's trusting in him. And my call to everyone here is to place that sort of trust in Jesus for forgiveness, for resurrection, for life, for all of it. So let's look at the prayer. It starts with one of my favorite words in prayer, uh, the word Father. And so the first teaching we get there from him is to address God as, as Father. Christians should address God as, as our Father. 
The word father sums up everything that God is to you now. God is, God is your provider if you're a Christian, just like a father. God is the one who teaches you how to live, just like a father. God is the one whose ways you follow and obey now, just like a father. God is the one who receives you warmly into his arms, just like a good father. We would be hard-pressed to find another word that summarizes his relationship to us and what he does for us better than the word father. And so we start off our prayers with a unique privilege. Only Christians get to do this. We get to look up to heaven every day and call that supreme God Father. How much would it change your day if you began it every day just remembering that you're his child and that he's your father? So if we begin our prayers like this, we're already started on a good road. We're already calling him Father and we're already looking to him that way. To call him father is both to have an intimacy with him and a reverence and respect for him. And there are a few ways we could talk to him that really balance that so very well. On one hand, we are close and intimate with our God. He's not distant. He knows us and we know him. He even dwells within us. And on the other hand, we look to him with a glad trembling and reverence and respect. So he's close, but it's not casual, right? And it's hard to walk that line, isn't it? Some would teach that because God is close and he's with us and he is our father and we are familiar with him, that we should start our prayers with something like, hey God, right? Something very, very casual, very, very friendly and near to me. Well, that retains the intimacy, but it loses the respect and the reverence. And so Jesus tells us instead to address God as father because we have the intimacy and the reverence. Others, especially in other religions, would address God in ways that show how high and lofty he is. The Muslims often begin their prayers with blessed Allah, most gracious, most merciful, right? That, that's reverence. They're showing reverence to their God. But there's no, there's no closeness. There's no intimacy because they're taught a God who is far from them and transcendent and not near to them. But we get both when we say Father. We get the closeness and we get the reverence for him. So we begin our prayers with the word Father. Well, you do that, now you're started. That's huge, right? And that's farther sometimes than we're able to get into our prayers. What do we do next? Next, pray that God's name would be honored. This is what it means when Jesus says, hallowed be your name. When Jesus saves us, he brings us to a right relationship with God. Uh, you're not just saved and given a ticket to heaven. You're given a restored, reconciled relationship to God in this life. So now you're his child. Now God is your father. And if you dig down all the way to the core of that relationship, all the way to the depths of a Christian's heart, what is the foundation of that relationship before God? What does he want from us most of all? At our deepest corners, there should be a glad, trembling, and joy before the holiness of God. Some parts of the Bible would call that the fear of God, and that does not mean to be afraid of him. It means to be glad with reverence before him. 
the feeling that you get when you see the grandest of mountains. If you have been to Alaska and seen the flatland and the flatland and boom, there is Mount McKinley. Okay, right? You know that feeling of awe before something so much greater than you. At the depths of a heart that is right before God is that feeling before him, trembling with happiness before his holiness. And so, the first thing we would pray then to him is, hallowed be your name. Blessed be the name of our God and Father. Which means on one hand, to call his name holy ourselves and have a great glad reverence before it. And on the other hand, to pray that his name would be honored as holy. We might wonder, okay, with what words could we say that? And here on the handout, we've got plenty of examples. If you're struggling to find words, you can look some of those up and hallow the name of God with those words. Like Paul writing in Romans 16, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you hear the words hallowed be your name behind that? To him be glory. Or to Timothy, he writes in two different places, to the king of the ages, immortal, indivisible, to the only God, be honor and glory forever. Amen. And then in a different place, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Right? These are the kind of things that Christians say to our God. God, would your name be praised and glorified. Father God, every angel in heaven that is crying out to you, holy, 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 even now, you are worthy of that praise and more. When we gather here, we tell him that he is worthy of all of this praise and more. And as we do it, we are saying, hallowed be your name. If you are praying right after reading the Bible, you might have a piece of scripture right on your mind. It might be working in your heart. And sometimes you can bless God's name just from that passage. Uh, Maybe you're reading Psalm 23. Some of us are familiar enough with that that I could just maybe rattle that one off. And then you're praying and it's time to hallow the name of God. And you might say, God, you are our shepherd and you are a good shepherd. You have led me through the valley of the shadow of death. You are leading your people all the way home where you have prepared a feast with us forever. Blessed be your name, Lord God. All right. In response to what we've just read, we can look to him and bless his holy name. That's the first part of that prayer, the first line in that prayer, to call him Father and then to bless the name of God and pray that his name would be honored as holy. The next words tell us to pray, your kingdom come. And in Matthew's version of this, he adds another line that helps us understand what that means. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you grew up memorizing the prayer, you may have that version of it memorized. That helps us to understand what it means for God's kingdom to come in part. If, if you're drawing the map, this kingdom is here, this kingdom is over here, how do you know where the line is between the two kingdoms? Especially if this king says, no, I own the whole thing, and this other king says, no, I own the whole thing. How do you know where the line is really drawn between the two kingdoms? Well, in this place, whose will are they doing? Are they doing the will of this king or are the people doing the will of that king, right? A king's kingdom extends as far as his will is being done by the people. 
And so for God's kingdom to come and for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven are really one and the same thing. That means that the day will come when Jesus returns, he puts right everything that is wrong here and everyone who walks this earth will do his will all of the time. Then the kingdom will be here fully. And so we pray for that. We pray that day would come soon. It also means, as I even mentioned earlier this morning, that there are times in history where the Lord pours out his spirit and the ordinary work of the gospel just gets like a caffeine boost, an accelerant, like fuel poured onto the fire. And many more than normal are doing the will of God. And so we pray that God would do that, that he would pour out his spirit. And it means that inasmuch as we, his followers, do his will, We are bringing about the kingdom of God and building the kingdom of God by following our king here on earth. And so to pray that God's kingdom would come is to pray for those three things, to pray that Jesus would return soon, to pray that his spirit would be poured out here so that many would do his will, and to pray that many would do his will. So that's the second thing we pray for. It is... A mark of maturity in your Christian faith to see your desire for his return increase more and more. One way you can know you're growing as a Christian is, do I long for Jesus to return more than I did a year and five years ago? And not just because you think World War III is coming or you think things are going to go bad and you want out of here. No, not that. Because you see how good he is and you just want to be with him. You want to see him and you want people to do his will. As you grow in your faith, you should see that happening. One way to grow that is to simply pray every morning, Father, would you send your son to return today? Would you send him soon? Not only then are you ushering about and perhaps hastening the kingdom with your prayers, but you're teaching your heart what to long for, to long for the return of Jesus Christ. Something we pray for often as a church is that second part, an outpouring of the Spirit. If Jesus doesn't come today, then what's the next best thing? His Spirit being poured out upon us. How powerful would it be if if the Lord moved here so much that you could sense a trembling among the people as we worship and draw near to God's holiness? How incredible would it be if 45 people came off the street next Sunday and just said, I just sense that something is missing in my life and I'm looking for a God worthy of my worship. Do you know one? You know, we're going to say, yes, we do get in here. We want to see the Lord do things like this. And so we pray that God would pour his spirit out upon us. And then, more specific to your life, you can pray that you would do the will of God in your life. And all the people God has given to you to pray for, you can pray that they would do the will of God in their lives. It seems best here to pray this for yourself and for all the people that God has given you and all your God-given relationships. So, after you've prayed that you would learn wisdom and that you would walk in God's ways, and if you have a spouse... Well, it's God that's joined you together, right? God gave you to each other. And so it's right to pray for your spouse every day. Emily and I pray for each other that God would bless what we do and that we would do God's will here on earth. If God has given you children, it's it's God who gave you those children. They are yours and you are theirs. And so it's right to pray for them every day. If you have adult children who are out all over the country and all over the world, maybe some of your children and grandchildren are scattered. You can pray for them by name every day. 
Some of you know the particular things they are struggling with, particular ways they are doing God's will and particular ways they're not doing God's will. And you can pray for those particular things. God, would my son follow all of your ways? Would you give him wisdom with this particular thing that I'm thinking about in his life? And would he walk in your ways? That would extend to, if you're, if you're the boss at work and you've got employees, it's, it's God that's given them to you. If you're a teacher at school and you've got students, it's God that's given them to you. And it's right to pray this prayer as far as your authority extends in their lives, which is not everywhere. So if you're a teacher, it's right to pray, God, would my students in class listen and do their work well and learn wisdom and be prepared for what comes in their life. Would they do God's will in that way? You can pray for more than that if you want to. Uh, For your employees, you might pray, God, would you help them to to work well? Uh, Would you help them uh, not to tear down our company with foolish words and foolish speech, but to build it up with good words? Would you you just move them all to show up on time today, Lord, and to do their jobs well? Uh, Things like this, you, you can pray for the people who work for you. We all have government officials, whether we want to or not, and it's God who has given them to us, whether they're the ones we want in that office or not. And so the scripture teaches to pray for them, And you might ask, what do I pray for them? And Jesus gives the answer here, that they would do God's will. Uh, God wants people with government authority to govern wisely and to govern justly, all in the fear of God. That's what he wants from them. And so you can pray that by name for the people who represent you if you want to. If, if you were to live right here, the lines are all over the place, and so some of these names may be different for you, but if, you, if your address was right here, 200 Sunset Boulevard, your president is Joe Biden. That's true for all of us, no matter where we live in the country. Uh, your, your senators are Mike Braun and Todd Young, and your congressman is Trey Hollingsworth. Uh, governor is Eric Holcomb. Uh, the state senator for us in Indiana is Greg Walker. Our state representative in the Indiana State House, Michelle Davis. And Greenwood's mayor is Mark Meyer. You can pray for those people by name every single day. Now, you'll have to go Google and put in your own address because all the lines are wonky and some of those people will be different for you. And there are others you can pray for as well. What would you pray? You would pray, God, would they govern justly? Would you give them wisdom to lead us well? I wonder how the direction of Greenwood, Indiana, of Indiana itself in the United States would change if every one of us prayed that God would give wisdom and that God would give justice to the people who govern over us. That's his will for his people. That's what he wants for us to do, to pray for them in that way. You can find also on the handout many examples that will give you words for that. Sometimes the problem is that we can't think of the words, isn't it? We got examples there. For instance, in Philippians, Paul prays for them that your love may abound more and more. That's one way of saying do God's will, right? Or for the Ephesians, he prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's one way of saying that you would do God's will. Many ways you can say this, but the thrust of it is that Jesus would return, his spirit would be poured out upon us, and everybody that we've got in our lives would do the will of God in their lives. Next, the Lord tells us to pray for our daily bread. Give us each day, he says, our daily bread. In Matthew, it's worded a little differently. Give us this day our daily bread. This is one reason why I believe this is meant to be a daily prayer. 
Because if you ask for your daily bread today, what are you going to have to do tomorrow? You have to come back. You have to ask for it again, right? So that's one reason I think this regular prayer is meant to be part of our daily routine. Bread here is one of those poetic devices where the part represents the whole. You're not just praying for bread, of course. You're praying for all of your needs, all of the day's needs. And so the next thing to do in your prayer then is to pray for the day's needs. You can pray that for yourself, for all of your needs, for anyone that you provide for, for your church, And then go ahead and pray for anybody that you're worried about. If you're worried about somebody that God won't meet their needs, go ahead and pray for them as well. I find personally the best thing to do is to look ahead to the day and anticipate what I'm going to need. That means to ask him for food for the day, for wages for the day, and for things like that. But also, I I might know what I hope to get into that day, and I may need help with a certain thing. And so I ask, God, would you meet my needs there? Would Would you help me there as well? If you're a member of our church, then God has given us to each other. We're covenanted together in membership. And part of that is is a duty and a delight to, to pray for each other and to know that you are being prayed for. And when you have needs, you're not alone in that. That means for me personally that the most important document in my life is this one, is, is the Holy Bible. And the second most important document you'll usually find on the front page of this notebook, and it's our church's prayer list. How do I know how to pray for you guys? How do you know how to pray for each other? Our needs are all listed right there. If your prayer time allows for it, you can go through that Our Church Family section. In about 60 seconds, you can name all of those names and ask God to bless all of those people and meet all of those needs. If God has made you a member here and given you to us and us to you, what a beautiful and blessed thing to do for each other, to pray like that every day. God, would you give all of us our daily bread? Go ahead and pray for anybody you provide for. If you have kids, if you have a spouse, if you're providing for any of them, pray that God would meet their needs as well. And then, whoever you're worried about. Some of you are worried about the people of Ukraine right now. There's the time to pray for them. God, would you meet their needs? God, would you come to them and give them all that they need? You can pray for that any time in the day, but throw that into your daily prayers if you're concerned about that. Is there someone in your life that you are concerned for? Many of you have people like this because you've put them on the prayer list. There's the time to pray for that. God, give us our daily needs, we ask. So that's the next thing to pray about then. Pray for the day's needs. One great benefit to being a child of God is that when we have sinned against him, we don't have to be scared that he will disown us. In fact, we know that he already knows everything that we have done and he has not disowned us. And so what we don't want to do when we have sinned against him is hide in a corner in the darkness, pretend it never happened, and just kind of put this wedge between us and him. When that happens between a father and a son, The father knows that the son has sinned against him, but they aren't talking about it. That puts a wedge between them, doesn't it? And the father and the son grow more and more distant because the father knows what the son's done and the son knows that the father knows what the son has done and they're not talking about it and they're not working it out and so they drift away. And a similar thing can happen in your relationship with God if you either deceive yourself about your own sin or you just decide I'm not going to deal with it and I'm not going to bring it to him and ask for his forgiveness. So we go when we ask forgiveness and we go when we confess our sins to him. And it's not because we're scared he's going to disown us. It's actually because we know he's not going to. 
But it is because we don't want that wedge between us and him. We want the full warmth and closeness in our relationship with him. And that only comes when we're being honest about the things that we have done. It would make sense to do that every day and renew your fellowship with God. And I think that is why Jesus tells us the next thing to do is to confess the day's sins and ask him to forgive you. He says, forgive us our sins. How would it affect your day every day if you started off going through the day before thinking of that time you got angry with somebody in traffic and that time you said a thing you probably shouldn't have said and your tongue slipped and thinking of all of those things, asking God to forgive you for them and then just resting in the forgiveness of God. How would that joy and refreshment change the way that you treat people all day? If you started every day knowing you were his child, knowing you had done wrong the day before but that God had forgiven you, well, then you would have more patience with the people that sin against you and the people that do frustrating things in your life and all the hardships that come because now you know you're a child of God and you are forgiven. That's part of why the next words are the way they are, right? Forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who has sinned against us. When you remember how forgiven you are, it becomes a whole lot easier to forgive the people who have sinned against you. And so the next thing to do then is to go through the day again and remember all the people who sinned against you and stop and say, Father, I forgive that person for doing this. I forgive my son for the way he spoke to me yesterday. I forgive that person who cut me off in traffic and angered me at the moment. I forgive that. But all those things, big things, little things, that person that slacked off at work and I had to pick up their slack, I forgive that person. If you can walk through and forgive all of those people, you're going to see a lot of those people the next day. And that's going to affect how you treat them. Because then you see them, you get a little irked, and then you say, nope, I forgave them. I have to get over it, all right? how that can bless every relationship you have every day. So I find it best there to go through the day before, forgive anyone who sinned against you in the last day, and then anything that still bothers you, even from a long time ago, uh, go ahead and give that to the Lord. And if you forgave them long ago, just remind yourself, Lord, I have forgiven them and, and they don't owe me anything. Uh, some of you can think of really heinous sins that have been committed against you a long time ago and they still bother you. It can help every morning. If you have had the strength yet to look up to God and say, God, I forgive them. It can help every morning that you're still a little bugged about it to just remind yourself, Father, I forgave them. Father, I can't hold that against them because I forgave them. How that can bless us. That there is a group of people far away who I think still owe me a phone call on an apology. And I think about it sometimes. But a long time ago, I said, God, I forgive them. And every time my heart just gets a little sour about it, I can tell myself, no, I forgave them. Right? If somebody owes you $20 and you forgive the debt, now they don't owe you $20 anymore. And then three days later, you're walking around and you're like, you know, I kind of do want that $20. I kind of do want that back, right? You can't go back to them and ask for it, can you? No, you forgave the debt. Once you forgive the debt, it's forgiven. And sometimes you just have to tell yourself, no, I can't go ask for that $20 because I forgave them of that debt. 
when we are sour about things that have happened to us in the past, but we have forgiven them, but the things keep coming up in our heart, the same thing proves true. If you've forgiven them, you've forgiven them. You can't hold it against them anymore. And so sometimes the words you have to say every morning are, Father, I have forgiven them, right? Past tense, I have forgiven them. I forgave them. And that means it's over with and it's buried. Luke uses the words here, sin and debt, interchangeably. You see that in verse four? Forgive us our sins as we forgive anyone indebted to us, right? And different versions of the prayer will say, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. This teaches us a lot about what forgiveness is. What does it mean to forgive somebody? Does it mean that you trust them again automatically? No, doesn't mean that. Uh, Does it mean that there is full reconciliation in the relationship even if they aren't seeking it? No, you can't reconcile unless two people want to reconcile. Well, what does it mean? Does it mean you're not hurt anymore? No, usually still hurt. What does it mean? Well, to forgive somebody is to discern in your heart, what do I feel like they owe me? Usually in our culture, it's an apology. Right? Most people are satisfied with an apology, and so we feel that person owes me an apology. Or sometimes, the way culture is going, a better apology, because that apology wasn't good enough, so they owe me a better apology. To forgive someone means to essentially figure out what it is that your heart feels like they owe you, and to cancel that debt and say, nope, they don't owe me that anymore. This is how we are able to go on in relationships where one person feels they're owed an apology and the other person doesn't know it and we've still got to do life together. How do you do that without constantly going back and say, okay, I'm also upset that you did this, this, and this, and this yesterday, right? And then the next day, okay, I'm upset about these five things that you did yesterday, so I want an apology for all of that. That doesn't work, right? We can't talk all these things through. And so what do we have to do? We have to forbear and forgive each other and say, yeah, you know what? That person probably does owe me an apology, but I forgive them that debt. I will not require them to do that. That's what it means to forgive somebody, to figure out what it is they owe you and to cancel their debt. If you can do that every morning at the start of the day or every night at the finish of the day, and if you can then any of those old things that still bother you, if you can remind yourself, I have forgiven them, oh, what an encouragement that can give you throughout the day. Finally, the very last thing Jesus teaches us to ask for in that prayer is to pray against temptation. This just means to anticipate the temptation you think you might face in the coming day and to pray that you wouldn't fall into it. It means on one hand to pray that you wouldn't be tempted, and on the other hand to pray that when you are tempted, you would not fall into sin. And so let's say you're going into work this day, and there's going to be someone there who always pushes your buttons and almost always tempts you to say something you shouldn't say because you don't like them very much. You know you're going to see them that day. You can pray specifically, God, I know I will see this person will you keep me from temptation to act out against them or to say this X, Y, Z thing that I know I want to say, but I should not say. Whatever temptation you feel like you might face in the day ahead, pray against that and pray against temptation generally in your life. So there's the pattern. You can go through that in two minutes if you want to fly through it, or you can spend a half hour on it. 
Some of, you, some of us wonder, how, how do people spend an hour in prayer, right? How do you do that? Can you see how with this pattern it would be possible? You could actually find an hour's worth of things to pray for if you wanted to, or it's flexible enough that you can zoom through it if you want to in just a few minutes. God's teachings are so good for us in that way. Jesus' teachings are so good for us in that way. So my advice for you is to think of all those things you want to pray for every day. Are there maybe five or 10 things on your heart that are so big to you that you want to pray for them every day, that your adult children would come back to Jesus, that our church would grow again? Some of you pray every day for our church's financial debt. I know that I do. You've got your things that you're like, that's big to me. I want to pray for that every day. Just figure out where it fits in this list and write it right in there. What a good way to remind yourself to pray for that every single day. Jesus goes on to teach what I hope we will continue to learn over the next year or so in church life, and that is that persistence pays off in prayer. All right, he's, he's going to go on to say, we didn't read it, he's going to go on to say, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And he's going to say, which of you, if your son kept asking him for a gift over and over again, wouldn't you, wouldn't you give it to him, right? And his logic is, if that worked on your dad, don't you think it's going to work on my dad, right? Don't you think my father will reward persistence when you ask? And he actually applies this to, if you've got your Bibles open, and you can go down to verse 13, very particularly, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will the Heavenly Father give what to those who ask him? The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So we are going to go when this worship service is over and we're going to gather in that foyer and we're going to say, God, would you pour out the Holy Spirit upon us? And we go with that encouragement. This is not the first time we've asked for that. But those of you that have kids know what it's like. The fifth, sixth, seventh time they ask, you say, okay, fine. Right, okay, I will do it. Our father is like that, except his heart doesn't begrudge to be asked. He looks down and smiles and he says, you you people don't know when to quit. You people keep asking. Don't you people keep knocking on the door? You know what? I'm going to open the door. And so we're going to keep going to him and we're going to keep asking. We're going to keep knocking until that door is opened. Let's pray right now and ask for it.